Hi there, I'm Scott Coco, and right now you are listening to Fairfax County's Envirapod. This is the place where we discuss the amazing things that the Department of Public Works and Environmental Services does to protect, maintain, and improve the environment here in Fairfax County, and meaning the department, all the wonderful people that do what they do. We've talked to all sorts of different folks, and it's always incredibly interesting to hear where they come from and what they do. Um, Most residents probably have no idea all this is going on, which is why we have these conversations. Today we have a return guest, Susie Foster, a landscape architect with DPWES, and we're going to talk about the importance of native plants and what we can all do to help pollinators, birds, and maybe even the humans here in Fairfax County. Susie, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. And as I was looking back at our previous show, I noticed that it was just weeks before the pandemic took over our lives. Yeah. Um, So real quick, just tell me how you're doing and tell me how did the pandemic affect your job uh, dealing with native plants, the environment, landscaping, and and how that affected your interaction with the residents that usually support and all these services? I was looking back myself at our last conversation and... I didn't I didn't realize that it was before the pandemic but you're right. I think it was in February and uh we didn't know what was about to hit us. No. But I have to say that I am so grateful that I'm I have the sort of work that I have be- because I was constantly outside looking at how our projects were doing, mm-hmm. thinking about what we needed to do to to get our projects on the right track or keep them on track. So my mind um and and most of my work is generally wrapped up with plants and the outside. So I again I was very thankful to, that that was my my job um, because I felt like it was even more important to keep the environment healthy um, so that people could enjoy the environment and be helped by it because uh, getting outside, hearing the birds and the bees and the wind in the trees, it's it's um it's very restorative so well and certainly more and more people were out in nature mm-hmm. people were walking everywhere yeah. and taking long hikes and long walks where you could get away from people and you know everyone everyone was wearing masks but it was the only way to get outside and stretch your legs and Get out of the house. Yeah, and maybe <laughs> seen areas of the county that they never knew were, existed out there and maybe had a more of appreciation or if they saw something that was needed to be cleaned up, realizing that it needed to be cleaned up. And I, and I think there's a, it really woke up a lot of people to, hey, wow, <laughs> this is all out there and maybe began to appreciate it a little bit more. Everyone was also home more and if you had the opportunity to work on your own native gardens and stuff like that, gardening, lo- landscaping, lawns, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. uh, they had a lot more time at home and right. being able to work on this stuff. Uh, did you get any feedback from people that had wanted your advice and how to work on their own gardening and stuff like that? Um, a little bit. Um I definitely was working more with individuals on their home gardens. You know, people were definitely out in their yards and um, uh, taking note of 
birds that they hadn't noticed before and um, butterflies and bugs. And um, so, yeah, th there was uh, a definitely a sort of turning towards um, observations of nature. And I know, like you said, getting out into the parks was wonderful, and I got out more often with friends to look at wildflowers, and it's amazing how slowly you can walk, how much, how little ground you can cover when you're, <laughs> <laughs> you're looking at all the, the wildflowers, like Turkey Run or, right. yeah. So let's go back a little, and let's remind people what your mission is and what's your job here with the county. So I work for, um, I work in the division of the stormwater planning, um, and f we're working on a variety of projects, but they kind of break down into um, stream restorations and stormwater facilities. So stream restorations, it's pretty much what you would, would guess. It's working on the corridors of the streams to repair damage from excessive erosion by water from mm -hmm. from our high, highly impervious uh, urban environments. Um, but the other facilities are um, dry ponds or wet ponds where stormwater accumulates for a, a few out, you know, a day or two and then dis dissipates. Um, and then we also have some smaller facilities that include rain gardens, infiltration trenches um, that you might see at libraries or fire stations or mm -hmm. um, at least on public property, that's where you'd see them, schools. Um, so we work on a, I work on a wide ver variety of projects, um, you know, everything from supernatural to much more urban. And um, supernatural meaning on the nature part of it, not the ghosts and stuff like that. Okay, right. It, thanks for clarifying <laughs> that. Yes, just in case anybody was wondering. <laughs> yeah, so our stream restorations, we're trying to go all native. You know, it's it's a jungle out there. Um, we live in northern Virginia. We have plenty of water and and stuff just grows. So we're trying to control um, that. We're trying to get that that trajectory to be native plants, mm -hmm. plants that, that are meant to be here, um, and, and, and trying to restore a corridor that, that, we've, been, that we've done construction in, that we've kind of um, taken back to zero. Um, and then in, in some of the other facilities, we're taking the native plants and trying to adapt them to this man-made you know, engineered solution to dealing with stormwater. Interesting. So there are two very different sides to that. Um, and then and then we have things like over at the Herity building, we just did a retrofit of that old fountain. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was a fountain that you know, must have been beautiful when it was designed, but for years it hadn't been operating because it had was clogged and pipes weren't working correctly in timing and so it was just a nightmare. It was just a um, holding water, um, algae, you know, just a nasty, nasty pit reminder yeah. of what we weren't doing. Um, so that was that was renovated and turned into a completely different um, uh, system for handling stormwater. So um, and and the end result is 
what you what you see is a small bubbler fountain in the middle. Um, the pond has totally disappeared, um, and then it's surrounded by beds of perennial native natives. So um, that's that's a much more urban situation, and mm -hmm. and we're taking the native plants and we're trying to adapt them to um, a more urban garden esque um, situation. So interesting. So that's a very challenging um, uh, number one, and any gardener knows this. Um, you know, as I said, we live in Northern Virginia. We have plenty of water and sunlight, and we're, we're just going to get weeds. Something's going to grow there. <laughs> There's no way, unless it's paved, something's going to uh, yeah, grow there. So yeah, um, that's a the challenge. Weeds is the thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, let's remind folks out there. Why do we care about the native plants? Why is that so important? So native plants, um, we're, we're starting to think about that term, native versus non-native. Um, do some people have problems with it? You know, is it politically correct to use the term native? Um, but what, we're, what we mean when we say na native, native plants are those plants that evolved to be in this area. And they they evolved themselves, but they also co-evolved with the insects mm -hmm. and the pollinators that are that also evolved in this space. So um, these species, the the plants, and the the insects and the birds and the mammals all um, depend on each other for it to complete their life cycle and to be sustainable. So um, when we say native, we're we're referring to Things that kind of co-evolved in this in this location, and and need each other to to coexist. It's a synergetic relationship. Exactly. Uh, how yeah. uh, one thing ripples and affects affects the other. Right. Uh, and what is the detriment of some of the invasive plants that are not native um, in the area? So the the plants that we have introduced to this area from other parts of the world. Um, in many cases, they're they're not aggressive. They they play nicely with others. They stay where you put them, mm -hmm. um, and and in that way, they're kind of like a you know a sculpture. They're not living. They're they may be living, but they're not supporting the environment around them. Mm -hmm. They're very much isolated, um, and you can think of them like a sculpture. Um, they may be beautiful, but they're not not really functioning in the ecosystem. Um, and so the the best of those introduced species um, sit sit where you put them, but the worst of them tend to proliferate and by seed or by ground runners rhizomes in the soil, and they can they can take over um, you know vast areas of of the ground of the vertical forest. Um, people think of kudzu. That's mm -hmm. like the, the number one recognized invasive, you know, the, the name really sticks in your head. But um, some other ones um, that were brought to this country are porcelainberry, which is another vine and acts the same way kudzu does. It climbs up trees. And in our area, you're more likely to see porcelainberry covering the trees than kudzu. Oh, wow. So... Um, you know, people look at it and think, oh, kudzu, but it's probably porcelain berry. Huh. 
and and that's a problem on all of our sites. And if we don't um, really pay attention to that and, and nip it in the bud, um, it's going to take over. It's going to occupy the space that would normally be occupied by natives. So not only is it you know dominating them by climbing up and over them, but it's also stealing their ground. Mm -hmm. So once you have porcelain berry covering the ground, you're not going to have may apples or uh, fern or spice bush. Um, and, and so all the animals and insects that depend on those plants are going to be gone. So you're really setting yourself up to have a very sterile environment. Um, hmm. That's so. interesting. Yeah. And all of us that go out and enjoy the great outdoors, and some of us, we go out to Huntley Meadows as our, our zen place. And, you know, and everything, there's so many different wildlife species and plant species, and they all work together, and, it, and, it's, and it's, you see the importance there maybe then just walking down around your neighborhood. But, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it's interesting to see how that all affects each other. Right, right. If you were to go to um, Great Falls to see the Virginia bluebells and you, you got there and it was covered in porcelain berry, right. you know, that would be a, a huge shock. And fortunately, um, they're keeping, keeping the invasives at bay. But, yeah, yeah, we'd lose treasures like that, too. Huh. So um, tell me about the native, native plants in this area. Whether they're in trouble or not, what are what are some of the ones that we're really looking to um, kind of uh, help out in the area? Um, let's see. I think that the native plants that are suffering the greatest threat in this area are probably the the understory understory shrubs and trees, and and even. Um, perennials. Um, this is, it's partly because of the invasive species, but the other significant impact are deer, because the deer, the population of deer is exploding. They have no natural predators anymore. Mm -hmm. We've taken them away. Um, and, and so they're just dominating the understory and, um, you know, popping through our backyards over the fences yeah. and and leaving their little fawns behind and <laughs> we see a lot of a lot of deer in our neighborhood um, but they just nibble away the nat they prefer the native vegetation and being a native species it, exactly co having coexisted co-evolved together um, so the deer are going to go for the natives mm. and so you see there's certain species that they don't like like. They don't particularly like pawpaw or spice bush, um, so those are good t for us. Um, but they will nibble on the um, a lot of the other understory, like the the shrubby dogwoods. Mm -hmm. um, there's red twig and uh, silky dogwood that they'll nibble on, and the vi viburnums they love, um, arrowwood and maple leaf vi viburnum. Um, you just don't see them blooming very much in the woods because the deer have nibbled them away. Um, so it's it's kind of that shrub layer. Uh, and then a lot of the tree seedlings um, are being inhibited by the deer browse as well. 
So we're not seeing, so we see a lot of the older trees, but we don't see a lot of the younger trees coming up. Hmm. So when we do the stream restorations, um, we put tree protection around the plants, sometimes individually and sometimes in large clumps. Um, So uh, we can can try to bring back that understory layer. That's one thing that our stream restorations actually can do a pretty good job at because um, with the deer browse, it's not happening as naturally as it would have in the past. Um, so by putting up our fencing in these corridors, we can we can reestablish some of the natives. A lot of our corridors are just overrun with shrub honeysuckle and multiflora rose. Um, again, they're green. You know, you think well, it's healthy. And it's they green. smell good, and they look pretty. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it doesn't necessarily help the ecosystem. Exactly. Yeah. Huh. So. Now, do I mean do those help the pollinators or? Well, I don't know that much about all the interrelation. I mean, it's just the, the amount of information out there about pollinators is vast. Um, there's certain. What do they say? They say about the autumn olive that it's junk food for birds, <laughs> that it's like going to McDonald's. It fills you up, but it doesn't, um, Not it doesn't give nutrients, you that, right. the nutrients that you need. So um, the autumn olive will bloom in the fall when the birds are migrating, but it, it won't give them enough energy. It won't give them the energy that they need to make their trips. So um, that that's a, that's a problem. You know, if, if you have acres of autumn olive where you should have spice bush and uh, winterberry holly and and all of our other native berry plants chokeberry and yeah so this sounds like such a daunting task to <laughs> either to go out and remove the invasive species or to promote the native plants i'm trying to think of just as a project manager how you would go and and plan it out and well um, i'm not alone um we have we have two restoration ecologists. We have myself and another landscape architect, and and we also have um, an intern who's fantastic. So all of us are visiting these sites throughout the course of construction and then during the warranty period and then monitoring for a couple years afterwards. Um, you know, and we put down a lot of seed. We put down a lot of plants um, around here something's going to grow and you just want to make sure that you have the best chance of it being what you want it to want it to be right and so uh, you're more focusing on the restorations and the new sites and stuff like that but what about some of the older areas where stuff is just growing so um a lot of the non-natives um have come in with disturbance. Mm-hmm. And oh, then, I see. So um, if you think about some of, oh, well, and some of the non-natives were planted, you know, that that was all the rage. Yeah, bamboo. You, yeah, 20 <laughs> years ago, yeah, people, I, I was putting it on plant lists, you know, before, liriope, I was putting it on plant lists because it was a great ground cover, um, not recognizing that 20 years later I'd be, you know, paying to have it removed. Right. Um, so there's different trends. Um, as we lose more of our natural areas, we we recognize the problem and we value them more, and and so we do what we can to 
to um, to to turn the tide the other way. But I w as I was saying, um, a lot of these come in with disturbance, and so when we disturb a site, um, we know that that's a threat, and and so we that's why we pay so much attention to these projects in the first couple of years because that's when you're trying to outcompete the the porcelain berry or the mile a minute vine or mm -hmm. the stilt grass. Um, um, we're trying to get seeds on the ground, um, Virginia wild rye and um, uh, bl little blue stem and um, deer tongue, um, lots of dicanthelliums. I'm uh, drawing a blank on the common name, but um, you know we're we're trying to combat that with native seed that we put down. Um, so knowing that something's going to grow, making trying to make sure that it's it's what we want, and then part of our monitoring is to go in and spot treat if we have um, invasive invasives coming in from seed that remained or birds are dropping it, but. Um, the more native vegetation that we can get established, then we're on a good trajectory for for um, maintaining uh, a positive trend. Interesting. Yeah. Does your department also work with, you mentioned trying to work with native plants in a more urban environment, and obviously there's areas of the county that are getting more and more urbanized. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something you work with land development services or when people are in, in coming up with new projects to try to include natives or if there's a park or a pond area or a, a water retention area, something like that, to work with them to provide natives for that area? Yes. Um, we're, we're definitely trying to promote the use of native plants and the Board of Supervisors has adopted a natural landscaping um, initiative um, that is is helping to steer our county projects, you know, our public facilities, in a, in that direction of using only natives. Um, but we're also working with um, uh, folks in the planning department when they're doing guidelines for new. Commercial districts, uh, they'll they'll include lists of of natives only. The park authority is adopting natives only, mm -hmm. and has been for a long time. Um, the The natural landscaping initiative is is based in urban forestry, um, and they oversee a lot of the PFM requirements. So, um, the, the PFM requirements are evolving. Over time, to to emphasize natives over non-natives, um, so yeah, there's a lot of different efforts across the county. Facilities management de department is is also um, in all of their sort of retrofits of facilities. They're now using native plants. So last time we talked a lot about what residents can do to help with these efforts in their yards or their gardens. What kind of resources do you guys provide and what are some of the things that you suggest for people as they're working on their landscaping in their yards, whether they got a large, you know, 
multi-acre lot or whether they've got a little tiny townhouse like I have had. Um, what are some of the things that you talk to these people to help them with? So there's some excellent resources that the county has. Um, the, the the local chapter of the state organization, Soil and Water Conservation District, um, um, it's a long name, but the Northern Virginia Soil and Water Conservation District has some really great resources for um, what residents can can plant, uh, and they also have grants available for residents to to apply for. Um, but through that Soil and Water Conservation District, uh, there's another state group called Plant Nova Natives. I've seen them. They're at all. They're at so many of the different uh, conferences and groups, and where they have booths, and they, I've seen them out there quite a bit. Yes, they've they've helped us on some of our projects, and when we have a resident that has a particular project outside of the scope of our project, we'll refer them to um, those folks, Maria Har Harwood or Laura Grape, um, and. The Plant Nova Natives folks um, have an excellent website that um, th there's there's just so much information out there. Um, it's really hard to even you know mention twenty species, different species, in a short talk like this. Mm -hmm. But if you go to their website, they they organize all the native plants by um, perennial, by grass. By ground cover, they they list um, plants that are good for hedging, native plants that are good for hedging that you can prune. And, and, and I, I think and, they also categorize them by if you want to get certain kind of butterflies or yes. birds or pollinators and what would be good to have in your yard to attract them, which I thought was very interesting also. Yeah, yes. And and they, they tell if um, – they have good resources for builders or for um, maintenance companies to use. Like if mm -hmm. you want to, if you want to switch out your burning bush, which is non-native, with something that's native, you know what's what's a good alternative? Um, and uh, there's it depends on your site, but there's a, a variety of of natives that you could consider for that. Um, and and they can that website. Is it's fairly easy to use. I'm, I mean, it's it's very in depth, so it it does take some time to find out all the information that's there. But if if you wanted to do a container garden, um, you know, for your deck or uh, up close and personal, you know, bring the bring the pollinators right to your deck, mm -hmm. um, they have some some great recommendations for how to put together, you know, what goldenrod to use, what aster, so that you're getting a different bloom throughout the, the growing season. Um, and and based on your suggestions, I went out in last year during all this, and my daughter and I put two big planters together. And oh, cool. We're about to move, so we're going to take them with us and, oh, that's and try to maintain them. And, and so yeah. that, that's a challenge, but, you know, something – she didn't get exactly why we were doing it, you know, but we um, we got on board with it and – and came up with a, a couple uh, neat planters, and, to, and we had lots of bees and butterflies and that's everything nice. there. A hummingbird once or twice. So. Oh yeah, that's really yeah. Yesterday, 
I had a hummingbird in my yard, and I wasn't really expecting it because I only have one sort of hummingbird plant, but there it was, and boy, I'm going to plant some more of those hummingbird <laughs> plants. They're kind of shocking when you see them. Yeah, it's like, know. oh, you're really here. <laughs> I shouldn't admit that i only seen one, one hummingbird this year, but that's true. The other thing I like to do with the planters and – they adv- at, on plant nova natives, they advise using perennials, so you know, so you mm-hmm. you don't have to repot them the next year. They're right. there, but um, I've had a couple pots for several years, and they just were getting too congested. So I moved them out into my yard, into different places in the yard, and and so they live on. They they spent their that's great their their youth in in my pot, and now they're. Um, expanding in the yard. So. Well, I, I, I discovered one of the difficult things with the planters and the pots is you have to winterize them a little bit. And mm-hmm. if you don't, then kind of start some over. I discovered yeah. that myself. But, yeah. um, you know, it's it's interesting and in taking time and, and getting used to that. But yeah. uh, certainly worth it. So I, I find that pretty interesting uh, to, to look at and not always going out. Uh, and one of the challenges that I found is going to the local nurseries and making sure you find the native areas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot smaller than what they're trying to really sell. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and that's a challenge. You've got these nurseries that are selling these all these plants and their section of, of uh, natives is quite a bit smaller. Yes. One of the other things that Plant Nova Natives is, is doing is going out and Putting stickers, red stickers on the plants that are native, so that so that it's easier to spot that this one is native. You don't have to read the fine print. Mm-hmm. It um, they they have volunteers that go out oh, and will wow. do that at some of the local nurseries. Um, uh, but there are there are some nurseries out there that specialize in natives only. Um, again, they're listed on the Plant Nova Natives website, but there's there's one up in um, North. Or excuse me, west of Leesburg, and then went out in Chaselton, and there's one down in um, Alexandria Nature by Design, uh, and then Earth Song, our, our own homegrown uh, seeds. And so Earth Song, Earth Song is great, and and you can find a lot of these resources on the websites that you've already mentioned. Yeah, yeah, Green Scri- Green Spring Gardens is another great place. Oh yeah, another great resource. Um, Another gem of the county. <laughs> yes, yeah, um, for all kinds of information, yeah. yeah. And and let me ask you, this may not be your expertise, but climate change is obviously around the country just a huge issue. And noticing great changes in weather, we're going to start having weather and patterns here that are going to feel a lot more like Atlanta did 10, 15 years, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you foresee changes in whether our native plants or how species adapt um, yeah. and how the county adapts? Yeah. Well, being in stormwater, you know, we're constantly looking at the rainfall um, and, and trying to brace ourselves for that. Um, so we're we're very tied into rainfall and you know more than anything it's these extreme events that happen it's not that every rainstorm is more you know incrementally more rain mm-hmm. it's these massive massive storms that um that can do a lot of damage because we just 
haven't engineered to be able to control them. Right. So um, as far as plant species go, it looks like we're able to s select some natives from further south than we used to be able to. Um, you know, the, the southern magnolias that are planted at Mount Vernon, you know, and they were fine down there by the river. Well, now they can be fine further further uh, inland. Hmm. Um, and uh, so some folks feel like that's cheating to use uh, native from outside of the area. Um, but, you know, it does give us a, little, a few more choices when it comes to ornament, our ornamental natives. Um, so, yeah, I... It's hard to predict. You just don't know. But um, one thing I was going to say about home gardens is that you know it's it's fun to attract the the pollinators, the native pollinators. That's a huge reward, but it it can be expensive, and mm -hmm. so to work incrementally is a really good really good way to go. Whether you have a small lot or a large lot. Um, You'll be more successful if you if you t sort of um, take a, a chunk that you can handle, as opposed to trying to do the whole yard at once. Um, over at the Herity, you know, we we did I don't even know how many square feet of of perennial bed, and um, we have contractors to help us try to keep that weeded. But um, that would be a scary thing to do if we're in your own yard, mm -hmm. you know, to convert that much area into natives. Um, and um, another another thing that's really important to recognize with natives is that, and with any plant, is that they occupy a different space in the ecosystem and in the canopy structure of of wherever they they're living. So you'll you'll find that. Um, there's um, there's kind of edge low growers that fill in the spaces horizontally, and then there are more structural plants that will pop up and give you great color or mm -hmm. whatever. But um, and then there are other plants that will um, infill between all the the tall plants, filler plants, and um, some people think they're weedy, but if you're going to choose your weeds, you might want the blue mist flower instead of the still grass. Um, so these, they all have their niches, uh, kind of structurally within the garden. Um, and when you when you start a garden in a small way, you start to see those inter interrelationships between mm. plants, and you start to see the blue mist flowers seeding itself around around the garden, and um, you start to understand. Okay, well, I need if I'm going to have the purple cone flower, um, I'll put that in at 18 inches on center, and it'll sprinkle itself around eventually, and, and and pretty soon it'll be over in the other garden, so I don't have to go buy it. I'll just move it. Or oh, I see. Yeah, and same with black-eyed Susan. And well, and, and it's also might be a little bit of you might have a native plant, but the context and the area it is in might I mean the county yeah. varies, whether yeah. it's from a, an open field or a yard or a forest, you know, you can't just decide that you're going to have one flower and it may not be native to your backyard. So yeah. that the context has a lot to do with it too, I guess. Right, right. Yeah, shade, sun, uh, forest, meadow, right. Um, 
So there's a lot to learn, a lot to learn about, and um, you know, taking a small, taking it in small bites is is probably wise, um, and uh, for the pocketbook as well as <laughs> learning as you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But anything you can do, I mean, um, planting a tree. If you have trees or whatever size, if you want a small tree, a large tree depending on the space that you have available, but trees really support um, so much of our wildlife, um, everything from, you know, the caterpillars that eat the leaves um, to the branches where the, bil- the birds nest, to the squirrels nest, or, um, but um, trees are just, if, if you wanted to do one plant, you know, come up with your favorite tree and figure out, you know, what will what will thrive in your spot and go back and listen to the EnviroPod where I we had our buddy Hugh the tree expert um, telling us how to how to how to plant a tree and that yeah. was yeah. he's great uh-huh. <laughs> it was yeah. all about trees yeah. so as we kind of come to the end of this let, let's just remind people what the mission is for you for you as a, a spokesman on what you guys do just the mission of what you want to bring out there in your message. Well, I think it's really important to remember that we're we're part of this um, complete environment, and um, our actions really do influence, you know, the insects around us. Um, so if we can, if we can plant a few things, if we can share our space with the the native uh, insects and birds. It not only, you know, fuels fuels them, but it also is therapeutic for us. It's really enjoyable to hear the birds singing and um, uh, to get out there and, and see the the different the wildflower that's blooming today that wasn't blooming yesterday, and to be able to look forward to, um, you know, the red buds in the spring or the the fall color of the the um, the I don't know if in your neighborhood the dogwoods turn a brilliant maroon, but the brilliant maroon of the dogwoods and the red of the the black gums, um, there's just so much joy. And I always get shocked that time of year that if you go walk in a forested area and you see a carpet of purple of the bluebells. That, mm-hmm. That's something that's visually stunning Yeah. whenever, whenever it you It just takes your that. breath away yeah. that nobody planned it. It's just nature doing its its thing. Well, and that's the point of, of the whole native plants. That was yeah. just a great a, a great segment. And so let's remind folks uh, where can people get more information. We mentioned it earlier on in the podcast, but just as we wrap up here, where can people go to get more information on exactly what we talked about today? Well, I think it's always nice to have a place, and Green Spring Garden is a really excellent location for seeing native plants, but also for talking to people to find out where you can have find more resources. Um, and they, they also sell native plants. They have some okay. sales, yeah. Um, but then if you like websites, the Plant Nova Natives website is, um, is really so detailed that it you know, would take you a couple days to get through that. So I think those are two really good sources without mixing people up too much. Well, Susie, thank you so much for coming back. Um, And previously, thank you for your help. I know 
you know, my family enjoyed putting together our native plant planters, and I asked you for some information on that, and that helped. So, I, again, we appreciate all that you guys do. Thank and it's you. really interesting, to again, to talk to people on, on what people are doing out there and without people realizing that it's happening. And, and so that's great. Um, so for more information, again, you can go to the county website and find – if you just simply search native plants as well as visiting the Virginia Native Plant Society uh, and the Northern Virginia Soil and Water Conservation District and more. So thank you so much for, for joining us again today. But uh, as we end the show, I need to say this is my last episode of Fairfax County's EnviroPod as I'm leaving Fairfax County and taking a job outside of the county. So I need to say how proud I am of the show that we got it off the ground and got through 28 episodes over the last couple of years and certainly with COVID mixed in there. Um, I learned a lot and changed many of my personal habits uh, since the show started, uh, like doing my best, you know, to do what Jen Cole says and get rid of one-time use plastics and and plastic bags when I go uh, go shopping. You know, she's our conscience, you know, sitting on her shoulder <laughs> reminding us all the stuff that we need to improve. Um, we keep our own utensils and straws with us at all times in the car and, and, and with us and certainly not using straws and bringing, keeping our own um, and keeping our own native plant planters. That's something that, that I changed in our life. We, we started composting, which we learned a lot about here and the county's composting program. And uh, also, you know, the glass changed. That whole thing that the that um, the Eric Cole does with grass and the Purple Can Club that changed. Yeah. Uh, as during the tenure of the show and my time time on this and promoting all of that, letting people know about the household hazardous, hazardous wastes and where to take all that and 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 the what we're able to recycle and not recycle and and habits that we can do to to better change them and help the county recycle. So that's something that we have changed quite a bit since we started the, this show and um, done a couple of stream cleanups, uh, tried, uh, certainly trying to get the word out to really preach and promote the, the good environmental practices that you can do as a resident. And then also learning all the stuff that the county um, the Board of Supervisors and DPWES and, and, and the other departments that they work together, uh, certainly. And then learning the difference between stormwater and wastewater and what they all do. <laughs> um, you know, we see it all flowing underneath the county and through the county. And I think as residents, we just think it's going to all go in one place. And the, the huge difference between the groups that handled that. And it has been great to to learn a lot about that and hopefully that this show has some informational impact. I know it, it certainly impacted my life. The show is in good hands, though. We have another producer uh, coming in that also hosts his own podcast, and he will do a fantastic job with it. And so, um, and certainly working with Irene, she's done a great job. Irene Hask with DPWES has uh, kept the show going, helped me get this uh off the ground and started and uh, is doing a great job with that. So, again, I, uh, I, I thank everyone who's listened to this and all the guests that have come in to participate. You know, you learn so much about the interesting people that do all that they do with, with the county. And it's, it's really eye-opening, and, and I hope we can let the public know about what all these interesting people do um, with forestry and with water and with solid waste and 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 it goes on and on and on the engineers and, and people that work with all of it so 
I really appreciated my time here with EnviroPod, and uh, and I'm going to miss it. But anyway, that's it for this episode of Fairfax County EnviroPod. If you want to hear more, you can find the show at www.fairfaxcounty.gov slash podcast. And, of course, the DPWES website and just about anywhere else you get uh, your podcast downloads. If you have any questions, comments, or an idea for the topic to be discussed on the show, you can email swpdmail at fairfaxcounty.gov or call 703-324-5821. And thank you so much for joining us. And thanks again to Irene Hass for making all of this happen. That's it for this episode of EnviroPod. I'm Scott Coco.